Good morning, Cornerstone Church. Glad to have you guys here with us today. My name is Scott Rogers, and I want to welcome everybody at the Santan campus, everyone at Scottsdale, everyone joining us at Cornerstone Online, as well as those at the 5 o'clock service right here in Chandler. Chandler, glad to be with you guys today. Come on, let's give it up. Welcome, everybody, for being part of our experience today. So glad to have everybody with us. Man, I'll tell you, if this is your first time here, we're just stoked that you're here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day, time out of your weekend to come on out to Cornerstone Church, whatever campus you might be. Uh, we just really genuinely pray that you'd have an encouraging experience today and that you'd walk out of here uh, when I'm done in about three and a half hours and you'd walk out of here just with a greater sense of what Christmas is all about today. We're so glad that you're here. We are in this series called The Joy of Christmas and it's a short three-week series. Today is actually week two and we're just going to talk about what is the meaning of Christmas. So today's message, I think, is going to be fantastic for those of you who are maybe new in your relationship with Christ. But for those of us who are the old timers, I think it's going to be a great opportunity to re-engage in what this is all about so that we can re-engage in this true meaning of Christmas. We made the decision when we said, hey, let's do a series called The Joy of Christmas. Let's take Christmas back. Not that we have to take it back from anyone else or anything else. We just want to take it back in our life, in our heart, and re-engage with the true meaning of Christmas so that all through the holiday season, we can be focused on Christ and celebrate Him, whatever comes our way. So if that's all right with you, we're going to keep going ahead with this deal week two. But before we do that, I want to um, um, encourage you and invite you to a Christmas Eve service at any of the Cornerstone campuses. They're going to be on December 23rd and 24th. And here's the deal. If you're a follower of Christ and you don't go to church on Christmas Eve, you're just going to go to hell. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But why not go to a Christmas Eve service? Come on out to one of the campuses. You can find out the time at the, the campuses for Christmas Eve services at cschristmas.com. And don't just bring yourself, bring your friends, bring your family, bring your neighbors if they'll hop in the station wagon with you. There's no better or easier time to invite someone to go to church than on Christmas Eve because it's going to be an all-out blast. Now, next week, everybody say next week. Next week. We decided without, without Pastor Lynn's permission, we just made an executive decision, we are declaring next week at Cornerstone Christmas Sweater Weekend. So I'm going I'm to be here, wrap up this series. I'm going to be wearing my Christmas sweater. Don't make me stand alone in this thing. Wear that ugly, stupid Christmas sweater and enjoy the fun uh, here next weekend at any campus. So let's do some fun before we get into the message today. Uh, how many of you guys would say one of the things that you love about Christmas are uh, Christmas movies? Raise your hand and say, man, I love Christmas films. Okay, how many of you are so fanatical that you literally would say, every year I watch every Christmas movie? Raise your hand real high. You guys, you're sick, you're twisted, there's something wrong, but there is hope for you. How many of you would say, I can't stand them, I'd rather watch the Hallmark Channel? Then watch another Christmas movie. Raise your hand. All right, the loud, the proud, the far and few between, though. So what we're going to do today is, and today and next week, we are going to actually determine what is the greatest Christmas film of all time that's been granted to us at Cornerstone Church. The World Opinion Committee has given us the authority to do this. Google it, right? So what we're going to do is today is the playoff. In fact, it's a face-off. 
we have three categories of Christmas films, and we're going to move the winner of each category into the final round next weekend, and it's all dependent upon you. So what we're going to do in just a moment on the screen, we're going to have one movie pitting up against another, and basically your response, how loud you are, is going to dictate which one wins, okay? So you've got to yell, you've got to clap, you can whistle, you can yodel, you can do whatever you want, but you just can't stay silent anymore. All right, your voice must be heard. Come on, Santan, Scottsdale, you've got to join in with us on this one. So here's what we're going to do. Our first category, before we put it up, is, well, let's just warm up the vocal cords here for a second. <laughs> let's do this. So Santan, you know, shake it off. Uh, Scottsdale, shake off last night. Um, for... All right, on the count of three, you're all just going to make some sort of noise. Really strange, right? This is not a library. This is church. So let's warm up the vocal cords. One, two, three. All right. All right. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to do one movie against the other, and you're going to cheer for which one you think is best. Now, this wasn't a movie, but we felt it earned our respect enough to be counted as a category. Category number one is the best Christmas TV show ever, and it is on the screen. There it is. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer against Charlie Brown Christmas. So how many of you guys would say the better of the two is Rudolph? Oh, man, let's see where this goes. How many of you would say a Charlie Brown Christmas? Woo! All right. At the Chandler campus, Charlie Brown won, but we'll see what happens at Scottsdale and Santan. Next category, the next category is the greatest classic Christmas movie ever. And it is between, it's, what are you on about? Oh, this is not the chick flick crowd, is it? Oh my goodness. Okay, it's A Wonderful Life versus Miracle on 34th Street. How many of you say the greatest classic Christmas movie of all time is It's A Wonderful Life? Who would say Miracle on 34th Street? I would say that was a little louder. I think Miracle on 34th Street edged it out. Okay, last category for this morning, uh, the funniest Christmas movie ever. (sighs) Now I saw uh, Pastor Larry, your Santan campus pastor, wearing his elf outfit on Facebook. Let's just say Larry... Don't do that again, please. (laughs) The tights just don't do you, my friend. All right. Greatest, funniest Christmas movie ever, Elf. (laughs) Home Alone. Oh, are you kidding me? Hold on. Let's just make sure. Let's make sure here. Oh, my heart is being broken live before. All right. Elf. (laughs) Home Alone. I think Home Alone edged them out. All right. Oh, my goodness. All right. That's it. Settle down. Grab your Bible. It's time to get religious and serious and all, you know, all that kind of weird stuff, right? All right. So Santan, Scottsdale, we can't wait to see who won out for you. 
Uh, next week, we're going to bring it to the final round and determine the greatest Christmas film of all time. No one will be able to debate it. It will be on the World Wide Web. It's been settled, okay? So grab your Bible, and today, we're going to talk about the joy of Christmas being the joy of God at work in us. And last week, we kicked it all off and said our key text for the whole series, this three weeks, is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, in what's commonly called the Christmas story in the Bible. So grab your Bible on your app or on your lap or whatever you've got. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen for you, but I always encourage you to turn into God's Word yourself. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Hey guys, this is good news. We've got some good news. But I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Everybody, your in-laws included. It says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And last week, we really talked about the meaning of Christmas biblically is the reality that God is with us. We looked at John chapter 1 where it was referring to Jesus as the Word, and that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, that God um, wrapped his divinity, he wrapped himself in humanity and became one of us. That's the core message of Christmas. And then we kind of progress from there and realize, well, what, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, the big deal is, is that God exists. He cares enough about us to become one of us so that he could go to the cross and die in our place, paying the price for our sin and our rebellion against God. And we're like, that affects every single area of our life. That's what Christmas is about. And in John chapter 1, verse 10 through 13, we looked at it and, and realized what it was interesting because it says, um, he... Uh, he was in the world. The world was made through him. He came into the world. The world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. It says that he came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. And then it has this, this hinging word. It says, yet, yet to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God came to earth to restore us, to redeem us back into relationship with him. And he says, whoever chooses to embrace that and receive that, he makes us his children. And today, we're going to move forward and say the joy of Christmas is the joy of God at work in us. It's an incredible gift. In fact, say this with me and say it out loud. Give me some conviction. Say, God is at work in me, and I'm a work in progress. Say it with a little more passion. God is at work in me. There you go. Now look at the person next to you and say, you look like a work in progress. <laughs> when we receive Christ, when we embrace this true message of Christmas, and we receive Christ as Savior, as Lord, as leader of our life, as everything in our life, God says, man, now you're my child. And from there, God does a great work. In fact, I would suggest the first work he does is that he gives us the gift of a brand new life. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. It's verse 17, one of my all-time favorite verses of Scripture. And here's what it says. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life 
has begun. I just love that. It's such a great picture of coming to Christ and beginning a relationship with him. Anyone who comes to Christ is a new person. Our past, really referring to our past sin, our mistakes, our mess-ups, all of our past is completely erased in the eyes of God. And then it says a new life has begun. Now, I love that word begun because it doesn't say a new life is fully arrived. It doesn't say the new life is completely experienced in the moment we receive Christ. It says the new life begins. And this whole concept of a new life, I can't speak for any of, of you, but to me it was very, very, very appealing when I was at the crossroads of what do I do with this Jesus? What do I do with God? Because this whole, this whole thing about God will give you a new life. The old is gone, the, the new life has begun, was really appealing to me because I just had made a whole bunch of mess in my life. And I, I, I kind of think of it like this. How many of you guys have ever uh, had a, been at a Christmas party? Maybe it was at the office or in your small group or somewhere, and you played that game called the White Elephant Christmas game, right? And so here's how, if you haven't played this game, just know it can be incredibly competitive. I mean, you're talking like, we're going to cross the line of sin here. I am getting that gift. I don't care who you are. Here's what happens. So what you do is you say, don't spend more than maybe 10 bucks, $5, whatever it is. Bring a wrapped gift, and we're going to put them all on the table, and then we're going to give out numbers, and then whatever number you pick, you get to go up to the table and just grab a random gift. You can't pick your own, and you just you size it up, and you try to assume that you know what it is, but you never do because they're so silly. And what happens is, so you get your gift, and you open it up, everybody sees what it is because you're the only one opening the gift, and then the next person goes, and on down the line, and they get their gift, and before they open it, you look at your gift and you think, do I want to keep this, or do I want their gift and give them my rubber spatula that I got as a gift? Now, if you, if you don't want a rubber spatula, you're going to go for this gift, and you keep on going. But the thing about it is, I don't like what I got, so I get to make someone else take it from me. Think about that in life. Have you ever felt that way? God, you know, as this whole thing is kind of unraveled or, or unbent, unwrapped my whole life, I just, I just wish I was in this big white elephant gift scenario. I could walk up to somebody and say, here, take my life. I don't want this life. I give mine to you, and you are a lot better looking than me. I want your life. I don't, I don't like what I have. Man, I think you make a lot of money, so would, here, take my life, and I want yours. And we just give away what we trade. We can trade it in. I don't like my spouse. Here, take them. I'm going for something new. And it's this whole life, is this, this whole concept of new and new beginnings is very appealing. And the cool thing is, it's a God thing. When we choose Christ, the gift he gives us is this gift of a new life. If any person be in Christ. The old life is gone. A new one has begun. But it doesn't stop there, right? Because it says it's just beginning. Here's, I think, another gift that God gives us in this whole story of Christmas. Not only does he give us the opportunity for a new life, but he gives us the gift of what I would call a new way of life. Everybody say way of life. Turn to Psalm 16. In the Old Testament, verse 11, it's a very explicit verse on this whole thing about God giving us a new life. Here's what it says. It says, 
speaking of God, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Isn't that cool? That we don't simply just ask Christ to, to forgive us, but God says, I want to show you a new way. I want to show you a better way. I want to show you a healthier way. I want to show you the way that he originally intended it to be. Though this life on this earth will never fully be what he intended because of sin and the fall. But God says, I want to bring you as best as we can in this lifetime, in this world. I want to bring you back into alignment with the way that I've created you to live. And he will show us the way. He gives us the gift of a new way of life. And the cool thing is, I love this, it says, and he'll grant us the joy of his presence. So while we're walking this thing out, and we're stumbling, and we're tripping, and we're getting back up, and we're living this uh, journey of faith out, he says, I'll give you joy in my presence. Last week we mentioned how happiness is really found in the circumstances going our way, but true joy is found in the presence of God in our life. And God says, you know, I'm going to show you the way, and I'm going to give you joy as you go on your way. And then I'm going to give you the opportunity to enjoy the pleasure of living with me now and forever. God has given us this gift of a, uh, a new way of life. So what's that look like? Gosh, I, I know Pastor Lynn teaches on this stuff so well, so we're not going to tr even try to unpack it fully. But this new life, I can only speak for myself. My new life in Christ was first just this, this overwhelming sense that God created me, God loves me, I'm not a mistake. Even when I mess up, I'm not a mistake. He has something for me. He has something for me beyond this life. That changes my outlook and my perspective. Another way that this impacted my life was I, I am becoming, uh, hopefully, little by little, just ask my wife Shelly, it'd be incremental, but less and less selfish and more desiring to serve others because I'm more and more seeing people through the eyes of Scripture and seeing that we're all created by God, we're all created in the image of God, and we are all equal before God. It changes how I treat people. It changes the level of joy and contentment in my life, and it changes my purpose and what I believe my life is all about. That's just kind of the, a little bit of what this whole new life, this new way of life looks like. If you were to consolidate it and try to synthesize it, I would say in one way it's, it's that this new way of life is living out less and less godlessness and more and more godliness in our life. God gives us this new life. He became one of us, the message of Christmas, to go to the cross, to bring us back into relationship with him so that we can have a new life. And then he gives us this gift of a new way of life. He shows us a new path to go down. And I'll just say this, if I can challenge some of my friends here who are followers of Christ, if you've given your life to Christ and yet your way of life looks no different than the way of life before Christ, you might want to just go to God and say, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to live? Because there is a difference in our life. We do walk down a different path. He gives us the gift of a new life. He gives us the gift of a new way of life. And another gift, I, I would just say, it's just that gift of he continues to work in us all throughout our life. Say that again. God is at work in me. Go ahead and say that. 
and I'm a work in progress. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Here's what it says. Scottsdale, are you still with us? Perfect. All right. Did you guys hear him? You're like, did, it, did someone hear him? Did you hear him? <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, for God is working in you. See? Got it right there. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever asked yourself the question, how do I know God's at work in my life? How do I prove that God is doing something in me other than what I believe intellectually, other than going to a church where we talk about him? You ever wonder, how do I know God's really at work? Right in this verse are some of the many ways we can know. And the first way is that God puts in us a desire, a desire to know him, a desire to live life in alignment with his design, a desire to please him, not to perform for him, but to please him because we know he loves us. And so as we follow Christ, if we have an increasing desire to live out a godly life, that's God doing that work in you. And then it doesn't stop there because if we stopped right there, all we would be talking about was religion, about living different, having different desires. But then it goes on and says, part of his work is giving us the power to do what pleases him. By the Spirit of God, he enables us, he empowers us to live this life that we just can't live on our own. And in fact, try to live out the Christian life without the power of God in your life. It is horrible, miserable, because we just can't do it. You, we just don't have the power to live a more, more and more godly life. But that's what God says. His work in us, part of it is he increases our desire, and he gives us more of the ability to walk this thing out. But here's what, here's what happens. Here's our role in this, though, because he doesn't just take over. We have to cooperate with it. His role is to give us the desire. His role is to empower us. But we have to cooperate with his process, cooperate with the work that he's doing in us. But I would say to the degree that we cooperate or not is often based on our view of him. How we view God often dictates the level of our willingness to cooperate with his work in our life. Let me give you a couple examples. We have, Shelly and I have three kids we have a freshman in college, a senior in high school, and a freshman in high school. And I love educators. If you're a, a, an educator, you're one of our heroes. You have so much influence on our next generation. Uh, you're vital to the future of all of us. And I can say this, that without any question, hands down, our kids do, do well in school, by the way. They took after their mom. They do well in school. And, but the thing is, hands down, they excel in the classes that they like their teacher the most, where they like their teacher the most. I know it's, it's kind of unfair at times, but for the teachers that they really know are for them and not against them, they want to learn. They want to excel, not to please them, but because they know that they're, the teacher's already pleased with them because they're human beings, and they show it, and our kids step up to that, and they're drawn to that, and they want to do better. They want to do the work because they believe the teacher believes in them. And when the teacher is able to really communicate that well, our kids just excel in those classes. It's just so cool. But if we view God differently than being for us, we tend to shun away. So here's what happens sometimes. 
is we have, we have an improper view of God. It's either uh, incomplete or completely unbiblical. And sometimes we can have this, this thought of we, we, we make God into the image of so-and-so and such-and-such and this and that. Here's one. I think we look at God in this way often, especially during the holidays. We look at God as Santa Claus. Anybody love old Saint Nick? Boy, you're not getting the love here, bro. That's all right. They love you in Santan. You guys love old Saint Nick. But we can look at God and, and think like Santa Claus. He must be like Santa Claus. Let me, let me show you. Give me an example. You ever heard that song, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town? That's some theology at times for some of us, the way that we view God. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. God's coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out if you're naughty or nice. Dang. He sees you when you're sleeping, which is really, really creepy. <laughs> he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be. And we can look at God like that. And if we look at God like that, not to give old Saint Nick a bad rap, but we, look God, we view God as being very judgmental, very condemning, very harsh with us, looking purely on our performance as human beings, which always falls short. And when we have a view of God that that's who he is, we tend to be unwilling to embrace the work in us because I just don't want to expose my junk to someone who's not for me. I'm going to turn and I'm going to run in the other direction. But when we see God for who he really is, full of grace, full of patience and forgiveness and mercy and long-suffering and healing and compassion, we, we expose ourselves to that. God, this is who I am and your work in me is awesome. Keep it going. Because I know the work that you're doing in me is because you're for me and you're not against me. God is at work in us. In fact, if you want to know what God really looks like, we said last week, God became one of us, Jesus. You want to know how God treats us and interacts with us? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible and look how Jesus interacted and listen to what he taught. That's God interacting. That's God teaching the sinners flocked to him. I never met anybody who had an honest reading of the New Testament and came away and said, I hate Jesus. I couldn't stand that guy. It's just people, religious people, that turn, we turn people off, right? But you want to see how God really is, look at Jesus. The sinners flocked to him. He healed people. People who were oppressed and possessed found, found freedom in his presence. He fed people when they were hungry. He was compassionate. The only people who didn't like him were the religious people because they had a preconceived view of who God was supposed to be. God does that work in our life, but he needs our cooperation, and we cooperate based on our view of him. And when we know that he's for us, we're going to cooperate. We want to cooperate. And here's the cool thing. Let me show you how committed God is to this process of working in our life. Are you still with me? Okay. Santan, I've got four people here in Chandler that are with me. I hope you guys are too. Let's go to uh, stay in Philippians. 
and turn back to chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. I'm going to show you this again. The Apostle Paul's writing, and he says this, And I am certain that God, who began the what? Who began the good work within you. See, there it is again. He will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You know what that tells me? It tells me that God takes great pleasure in doing a work in our life. And it tells me that it's going to be a work in progress all of my life because it says until Christ Jesus returns. So either he's going to return before I go to be with him or I'm going to go step into eternity before he returns. Either way, I'm always a work in progress. So guys, let your wife off the hook. Ladies, let your husband off the hook. He's always a work in progress. I'm telling you, man. But God is at work in us and he's committed to keep that process going if we cooperate with that work in us. That's part of the reality of what Christmas is all about. God became one of us, brought us back into relationship with him, and now he's given us this gift of a new life, this gift of a new way of life, and this constant gift of doing a work in our life. And we're always going to be a work in progress. And we're going to pray in just a moment. And I want to I want to throw this out to you. I, I think there are kind of like four groups of people here. I'm just going to take a shot at this. I think the first group here, um, either campus or online, maybe you're one of the folks who'd say, you know what, Scott? Man, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't know what, I don't know if I really believe what you're saying. I don't know what I believe about God. So um, that's just where I'm at. So I'm not really embracing what you're saying. I'd say that's fair. But I would just, uh, as a friend, encourage you to consider Christ. Consider God. In this holiday season, maybe this is the time where you just ask some honest questions and seek God out. Grab yourself a Bible. Grab yourself a New Testament and read a little bit. But then there's three other groups, I think, that are here. One of you are, is, is the group that, that is really saying, okay, God, wow, I want that work in my life. I want you to give me this new life. And I want, I want my past to be gone. I want to begin this new life. And for many of you, that's your prayer. You say, God, begin that work in me. When we pray in just a moment, I want to encourage you just to, to voice that to God from your heart or talk it out and just say, God, would you begin a work in my life? Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to lead me. I want to, I want to know you. Begin this work in my life. I think another group of us here is, is are those of us who'd say, God, I used to walk with you, but I... I Quit cooperating for some reason. And your prayer is, God, would you resume your work in my life? And for you, your prayer is simply, God, man, I've turned in a different direction. I want to turn back towards you. Maybe you need to do what we call repent, ask for forgiveness, and go in that new direction. As God gives us his grace, your prayer is just, God, would you resume your work in me? I know that you're good. I'm coming back to you. And then the rest of us would simply say, God, continue. Continue your work. I'm looking at you with a view that is really who you are, full of grace, full of truth, full of, of forgiveness. And God, continue your work in me. Because believe me, I am a work in progress and I need you in my life. Some of you are going to pray, God, begin the work in my life. Some of us are going to pray, God, resume it. I'm turning my heart back to you. And the rest of us are just going to say, God, thank you for continuing your work in, in my life. At all of our campuses, let's bow our heads. Let's, let's close our eyes. Just to have a personal moment 
with God. Father, I thank you for all of us that are here. And Lord, I pray that, uh, I pray God that as we respond, that you would overwhelm us with grace, overwhelm us with peace. So Father, for the folks that are here that are simply praying right now, God, begin that work in me. Lord, I pray that you draw these folks to you, God. Reveal yourself. And may they come to know the Christ of Christmas and experience the joy of Christmas as they begin a new life. Father, for those of us who are saying, man, I've gone off the path. I want to get back on the path of grace, back on the path of growth. God, would you resume your work in my life? Lord, I pray for those folks as they voice that out to you, that your presence would be strong and they would experience the joy of your presence in this moment as they turn their hearts back to you. Father, for those of us who would say, God, continue your work in our life. Lord, would you give us an ever-increasing desire to do the things that please you so that we can bring glory to your name and continue to do that work in us, God. And we thank you that we're all the same. We're all a work in progress. And we're very thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God some thanks for what he's, he's doing in our hearts and in our lives.